Hello again, everyone, and welcome to it. It is the Derek Hunter Podcast for the final day of January 2024. Hope your January was good. It's the 31st, and let's just get on with the show so we can get the hell out of here. There is, of course, a bunch of stuff going on in the world. There's always a bunch of stuff going on in the world, but I want to start off today by talking about what we're up against and what is uh, what we're really up against. It doesn't seem to be talked about nearly enough the left is showing us how they plan on winning if you will all you got to do is look and you've got to find a way to counter all of this or else people get screwed we will get screwed and so as we're talking about and look as somebody from detroit as somebody who wanted the lions to win and uh watched both football games and saw more cutaways of Taylor Swift than any human being should ever be forced to endure, you have to recognize the power of celebrity. Now, whenever I talk about pop culture, whenever I talk about celebrity, movies, TV shows, what happens? I inevitably get messages from people out there going, I don't have a TV. I don't have cable. I don't watch this. I don't go to them. And I'm like, okay, you don't have to. But it's not helpful. You're seeding the ground on which a lot of these battles will be fought. You're just seeding it to the left. You're giving it to them. You don't have to participate in it, but you should be aware of it. It's aware of you, or at least it is going to supersede whatever you want if they win. You have to be aware of how the left is going to go about their business so that you might have a chance of defeating them. So this story in the New York Times the other day, inside Biden's anti-Trump battle plan and where Taylor Swift fits in. Is it Taylor Swift? What? Well, the left is not going to take anything to chance. They're not going to leave anything to chance. They hate us. We spend we don't like them very much, but we really seem to reserve a lot of our hate for ourselves for our own team and a lot of people on our side fire down our own trench an awful lot it's not counterproductive but hey what are you going to do says uh it took one two three four let's see at the end here four reporters uh, yeah four reporters reed epstein lisa lair katie gluick and Katie Rogers. Two, they broke out two Katies for this one. And then somebody named Shane Goldmacher also contributed. So five employees of the New York Times to put this thing together. As former President Donald J. Trump speeds towards the Republican nomination, President Biden is moving quickly to pump energy into his reelection bid, kicking off what is likely to be an ugly dispiriting and historically long slog to November between two unpopular nominees. Well, at least they acknowledge that Joe Biden is unpopular, too. But you got to look at that and just go, wow, these people really, there's a lot of opinion right there in that lead paragraph. After months of languid buildup in which he held only a single public campaign event, Mr. Biden 
has thrown a series of rallies across battleground states, warning that democracy itself is at stake in 2024. I don't remember a series of, I guess they count Virginia as a battleground state. I don't. But he's held more events in Virginia and D.C. than anywhere else. I think he's even held an event in Maryland. He sent two of his most trusted White House operatives to take the helm of his re-election campaign in Wilmington, Delaware, after Mr. Trump seized control of the Republican primary race more rapidly than Mr. Biden's advisors had initially expected. See, Trump, he won. He won. Not seizing control. And other Biden aides are drafting wish lists of potential surrogates, including elected officials, social media influencers, and the endorsement of their wildest dreams, the global superstar Taylor Swift. And you sit there and you go, why would anybody? How stupid. I would never take my. It doesn't matter. Of course, you wouldn't take your political advice from Taylor Swift. But there are more than 200 million people who follow her just on Instagram. They would jump off a cliff if she told them to. If she told them that everybody should date a, you know, a, a Kansas City chief. They'd be lined up at Arrowhead Stadium or whatever the hell they're calling it now. There are people who live and breathe. Now, granted, one of them is my six-year-old, and they probably all have them. If you're taking your political advice from a, a pop star who, I don't know if she graduated high school, but I promise you since she's been famous and she was like 15, high school wasn't a super big priority for her. But uh, if you're taking your advice from somebody like that, you're probably not much brighter than a six-year-old. My six-year-old's pretty bright, so I'm setting the bar pretty high. But this is the kind of stuff I mean when I say you don't have to be aware of it. You don't have to be able to name one Taylor Swift song. But if you don't know anything about Taylor Swift, you're going to get into trouble. You're going to lose. You're going to be counter. What you're doing is counterproductive. Quote, it's game on the beginning of the general election, said Representative Ann McLean Custer of New Hampshire, the chair of the New Democratic Coalition, a group of 97 centrist House Democrats. Quote, we've got to win this. Now, keep in mind how they redefine things. Centrist Democrats they used to have a group called the Blue Dog Democrats. The Blue Dog Democrats were Democrats who were interested in financial Issues. We're interested, we're concerned about taxes and overspending. They're dead now. All the blue dogs have been taken to the pound and put down. They have been replaced with people who say, well, we got a printing press, let's go crazy. So there is no real such thing as a, a moderate Democrat. Have you ever heard of Anne McLean Custer? If she is not a vocal, known critic, of someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez or Premier Jayapal, she is not a moderate. And it doesn't matter. If she just sits silently while the radicals have their way with people, it's all that matters. So in a race without historical parallel, a contest between two presidents, one of them facing 91 criminal charges, Mr. Biden is making an extraordinary gamble, betting that Mr. Trump remains such an animating force in American life that the nation's current leader can turn the 2024 election into a referendum not on himself, but his predecessor, resurrecting a version of the argument that worked for them in 2020. Mr. Biden's team and his top allies plan to paint Trump as a mortal threat 
to American government and civil society and are banking that fears of another turbulent Trump administration will outweigh the worries about Mr. Biden's age and vitality. Now, you've got to love that part where they're saying, well, is another turbulent Trump administration, another turbulent Trump administration. Let's ponder for a second. What what made the first Trump administration so turbulent? Was Donald Trump running around giving wedges to everybody in cabinet meetings? No. Was he launching missiles willy-nilly into various hotspots around the world? No. Oh, yeah, what made it turbulent, if you could call it that, is the Democrats creating the Russia hoax right out of the bat before he even took office, and then perpetrating that, perpetuating that for four years, knowing full well it was a lie. And in fact, after it was exposed as a lie, to this day, Adam Schiff was on one of the shows over the weekend talking about how Russia interfered in the 2016 election. Oh, all right, Russia? Yeah, and Donald Trump colluded with him. That, that was Adam Schiff. He's going to be the next senator from California, by the way. So that's a lot like throwing a party at your parents' house, trash in the place. Your parents come home and say, what the hell? And say, well, uh, we have to find out. Do we want another turbulent vacation? Do you want you can't go away? We can't have another turbulent vacation. You are the turbulence. You are the problem. Polls have shown Mr. Biden trailing Mr. Trump in a head-to-head contest with many Democratic voters reluctant to back him again. The president's aides plan to couple uh, a direct assault on Mr. Trump with heavy focus on abortion rights, casting the issue as symbolic of larger conservative efforts to restrict personal freedoms. What personal freedoms? They believe that the more the public sees and hears Mr. Trump, the less people will be inclined to vote for him, and the more the Biden campaign will be able to use his words on issues like abortion and health care against him. Now, if you notice what's not a part of this campaign, what's not a part of this strategy, as reported by the New York Times, there's no reason to doubt the reporting. The New York Times is basically an appendage of the Biden campaign. I'll let you decide which appendage. There's nothing in here about what Joe Biden has to do, what Joe Biden has. It's always, we're going to paint Trump. It's all about Trump. It's all about Trump because Joe Biden is senile. They can't have him out there the way that a normal candidate would be. Now, being against Trump, it kind of empowers them to do this, enables them to do this. But always pay attention to what they're not saying, what they're not doing, what they don't want you to look at. It's like the magician flailing their right arm around and running their mouth. Well, you really want to watch what the left arm is doing at that point. Mr. Biden's aides argue that voters remember the events of January 6, 2021 all too well, making the day a touchstone akin to the September 11th terror attacks. Do you wake up in a cold sweat? Going, oh, my God, grandma's going into the Capitol. Oh, you wake up screaming, no, grandma, don't walk in that door that is held open for you by police on the Senate side. I don't think anybody does that. I don't even think the people who claim to do it do it. You hear the police, go, oh, it's so traumatic. It was the worst day of my life. Wow, if that was the worst day of your life, you had like three hours of the worst day of your life. That's it? You've had a pretty charmed life, right? 
They think an anti-Trump message about democracy can persuade Democrat voters to line up behind Mr. Biden and win over independents who backed Mr. Trump in 2020 but disapprove of his behavior since. This is where Donald Trump really has to sort of, I don't know, grow up a little bit. The January 6th attack hangs over the Biden campaign in another way as well. Unlike 2020, the president and his team believe that the end of the election will not be in November, but on January 6th, 2025, when Congress will count the electoral votes. Mr. Biden's team is building out a legal strike force in battleground states to prepare for a range of challenges, including matters of basic voting rights, but extended to certification of elect the election under the Electoral Count Reform Act, the 2022 federal law that was meant to stave off any repeat of Mr. Trump's attempts to overturn the 2020 election. I love it. Uh, overturn. Overturn. You know, up until the point that the vote was certified, there was no nothing to overturn. So it wasn't quite done. That's the time when legally you're supposed to challenge. But Democrats and apparently five writers and Democratic Party stenographers for the New York Times don't seem to understand that or care. There's no money in it for them. But I will point out that they have put out this legal strike force. Now, they say it's a reactionary force. I would hope, although I have no reason to believe this, that the Republican Party is doing something similar. In 2020, the Trump campaign and Ronna Romney McDaniel quite frankly screwed the pooch when it came to being ready for the electoral challenges that came. They didn't really bother to sue before the election very much to say, hey, wait a second. The Constitution says that the state legislatures decide election law, not judge decrees, not or not uh, judicial branch, not governors. It's pretty unambiguous. They didn't bother. After it was done, then they said, wait a second, we're caught flat-footed, and it was too late. What are you going to do, disenfranchise everybody in the whole state? Sorry, pal, you should have picked up on this one beforehand. The time to challenge is immediately. And the Trump campaign ended up hiring people like Rudy Giuliani. Look, I, I like Rudy Giuliani. There's nothing against Rudy Giuliani. But he is not an election law expert. And he was barely able to string together coherent sentences at his press conferences when he was sweating the fake hair in a can shaker thing. That he Remember that? Whatever the hell that was. You should have ballers. You should have the best. You hire the best names in election law. You hire the best names, period. You don't hire somebody because you saw them on Fox, for God's sakes. Whatever you do, don't hire somebody because you saw them on Fox. Whatever you do. Don't hire somebody because they're attractive or that they can go on TV. Fox mostly because the other networks won't bother to have your lawyers and articulate what you want them to say. Hire people who know the law and who can win. That should be the only criteria. I don't honestly know that Ronna Romney McDaniel or Donald Trump have done that when it comes to election lawyers. They should be deployed now. They should be you should hire the person in every state 
who is the best, who helped write the law. So they know how to follow the law so that if it deviates from that, if a state deviates from that, they can stomp it down. Have you seen any evidence to suggest that? I haven't yet. Democrats have successfully wielded a Trump-centric message, even with the former president out of office, including in the 2022 midterms, when more than two dozen elections last year. Now that he looks likely to return to the presidential ticket, and as he continues to shape direction of the Republican politics, top Biden aides see an opening to draw a sharp contrast. Quote, once again, said Governor Tim Waltz of Minnesota, the chair of the Democratic Governors Association. There's a binary choice. Democracy, freedom versus extremism and chaos. Real kitchen table issues that affect people or just nonsense things that they dream up. I'm not sure that the Biden administration wants to go down the road of kitchen table issues and blame Donald Trump, considering that the inflation rate has all occurred on their watch. Things are way more expensive than they otherwise should be, thanks to his profligate spending. But this is not completely unexpected. Do you see a good, effective counter coming from Republicans on this one? Now, the story in the Times continues that the election will not be about Mr. Trump in a vacuum. And they're finally acknowledging you know, halfway down the story and they finally go, oh, yeah, but there'll be, people do have their opinions of, of Joe Biden and it's not super great necessarily. Many Democrats continue to worry that training their attention on him will fail to energize voters who are already pessimistic about Mr. Biden. Polling shows that some of the black, Latino, young, and suburban voters who lifted him to victory in 2020 have since turned on him, in part over misgivings about his age, economic record, and support for Israel. (laughs) Now, see, they're not going to—the ones who are anti-Semitic, who don't like Jews, and upset about Israel defending itself from their terrorist friends, are not going to come running over to the Republicans. But they will run to the Greens— Or they just won't vote in the presidential election. That's why I love that they're running around calling Biden genocide Joe. I love it. Because Joe is going to change. I promise you this is going to work. Nobody, no political figure in the last 50 years at least, maybe last 100 years, has been more of a weather vane than Joe Biden. He'll go whichever way the, the breeze goes. If somebody breaks a little wind and pushes some air and one direction, Joe will go that way. That's just how he is. He stands for nothing except for himself. So that's what they want. That's what he is. And wherever he thinks is popular, that's how he can contradict literally everything he's done over his Senate career. He's now against it. His only legislative accomplishment was the crime bill in the 90s, and he's denounced that. Why? Because Democrats are no longer against crime. (laughs) Like, okay, well, there you go. Campaign aides and top officials largely brush off those concerns, believing that attitudes, on the economy at least, will change as it shows more signs of improvement. I really hope that Democrats hitch their wagon to this one. I really do. They are out there insisting that the economy is great. And I'm going to play for you some Stephen Colbert in a bit. and Trying to make this argument. And if you look at just the numbers, oh yeah. No, it is it, the economy is doing okay on the numbers, on the page. People don't live on the page. 
People don't live as numbers. That's the problem. It's a very tough argument to make if your slogan for re-election is, you've got it better than you know. Okay. It costs a ton more to go to the grocery store than it did just a couple years ago. It costs twice, three times as much, whatever it is for each individual person. And you're going to tell people, don't worry about it. You, you got this. Prices have gone up 10, 15, 20 percent. And your wages have gone up too. 3%. This isn't lost on people. So you're not going to have a very good time arguing that you don't know how good you've got it. It can show all the signs of improvement you want. The stock market being around 39,000 is a one indicator. But unless you're a day trader who's on the winning side of that and hasn't made any bad bets or you are currently retired and living off your 401k, things that doesn't really impact you. If you're contributing to a 401k and you live, you know, 30 years in the future, okay, you can be excited about that. But most people don't live 30 minutes into the future. Most people don't have a clue what they're going to do this weekend. So to sit there and go, well, don't worry, you're great, it's going to be great. Okay, great. Maybe in 20, 30 years when you retire, your 401k will be worth a fortune. Maybe this upward trajectory will buck every single trend every human being knows about markets and there will be no correction there will be no drop in the stock market there will be nothing it's just going to be gravy from here on out i don't really think that's going to be the case because it's never been the case i don't think an economy built teeteringly on 34 trillion dollars in debt is going to work out all that well for everybody in the long run Besides, in a long enough timeline, the survival rate for everybody is zero. Same with economics. You're going to be damaged. Stock market will go down. There are corrections. Why is the stock market so high right now? Nobody can really give you a good answer. I don't know what's going to happen next, but all I know is that something is going to happen. And if you want to make God laugh, make a plan. So if you can say, well, look, third quarter GDP was this and fourth quarter GDP was that. Like, Okay, great. Can I bring the fourth quarter GDP numbers to the Safeway and get a discount on my groceries? Well, why is this cost? I can't afford this week's meals for my kids but I do have a coupon here that says that the GDP grew by 3.1% last quarter. Is that good for any? No, it's not. So you can argue this all you want. It's not going to do you a whole hell of a lot of good unless and until people feel it in their daily lives. And quite frankly, you have to be filthy freaking rich to feel the GDP in your daily life in any real tangible way. To rally the growing number of voters who do not consume news through traditional media, the campaign is trying to reach them on social media with videos from influencers and even those with smaller followings. And this is where really the Democrats have uh, the billionaire class funding them and the ignorant social media consumers are really where the Democrats have planted their flag for 2024.
So as Democrats are getting ready, they're going to embrace social media, even those with smaller followings. During a stop in North Carolina this month, Mr. Biden made an hour-long visit to the home of a supporter who had his student loans canceled through a federal program. The man's son later posted a video of Mr. Biden visit, Biden, uh, Biden's visit on TikTok, which drew millions of views, a template for how the campaign hopes to reach voters in new ways. The campaign has begun discussions with celebrities and social media stars about promoting Mr. Biden on Instagram and TikTok. Now, this is kind of funny. You're supposed to, uh, you know, in, in, if you're paid to do something, you have to differentiate your uh, most of the time. You have to say this is a political ad. It's a political ad. I'm being paid to do this. Now, I may agree with it, but it's, it's a paid commercial. That's why in radio, you know, you know the difference between commercials and um, and the content of the show. Although some hosts do try to spin in the live read into there and like, oh, yeah, no, no, no. It's kind of funny if you listen to anything, you flip around the dial and like, I love these guys. These guys are the best. They're my friends. They're good. And then you go to the next station and I love these guys. These guys are my friends. They're the best. Like, It's the script. It's a script. But they want to do stealth advertising. They want to pay these essentially trolls on social media because that's what gets the most attention to post things about them, to post things for them. When Mr. Biden took a fundraising swing through Southern California in December, the campaign carved out time to meet with influencers to pitch them on posting pro-Biden content. There are also plans, first reported Sunday by NBC News, to hold a fundraiser with two Democratic former presidents, Bill Clinton and Barack Obama, according to two people familiar with the discussion. The biggest and most influential endorsement target is Miss Swift, 34, the pop sensation and NFL enthusiast who can move millions of supporters with an Instagram post or a mid-concert aside. She endorsed Mr. Biden in 2020, and last year a single Instagram post of hers led to 35,000 new voter registrations. Fundraising appeals from Ms. Swift could be worth millions of dollars to Mr. Biden. Now, remember, these are the people who want to get money out of politics. They all want the rich dictating this. Oh, those Wall Street. Wait a second. You've got a billionaire pop star willing to give you an in-kind donation that violates every known law governing campaign contributions and here they are bragging about it going we really want this we super hope to get this thing that's really what the the democrats are down to please taylor swift save us and you sit there and you go well taylor swift taylor swift can save them she will be able to if she gets involved if she gets in, i don't i don't know that it'll work but i know that it'll help I promise you it will help. Whether it'll be the difference maker, I don't know. Now, you can sit there and I... Unfortunately, Republicans will hear this, will look at this, will we'll learn of this, will whatever, and they will try to do their own version of it. There's very little original thinking on the Republican side, and that's the biggest problem we really face is people can't message, can't talk about the basics of, of liberty, of individual freedom. Like, really, you, you bring so little to the table you can't even talk about this? It's pathetic. 
So they will just go, well, we need somebody of our own. And they'll go out and they'll go, well, it's Pat Boone. Let's get Pat Boone. He's a pop star. Let's get, uh, or Kid Rock or something like that. There is no equivalent to Taylor Swift in, in any, every, anywhere right now. She is, now there have been others, obviously. A few years ago, it was that god-awful K-pop crap, BTS. And then before that, it was whatever, I don't know, the New Kids on the Block or Backstreet Boys. There's always some kind of garbage that everybody young goes to and goes, oh, God, they're the best. And there's a segment of the population, young people, who will go, they said jump off a bridge. I'm going to jump off a bridge. This is great. I'll do whatever they tell me to do. Oh, they say eat a tube of feces a day. Well, I, there's no way that uh, Backstreet Boys or Justin Timberlake would ever tell me to do anything that's bad. I'm going to do that. You have to realize just because you think it's crap doesn't mean it's crap to everybody. Think about when rock and roll first came. People, parents hated Frank Sinatra, for God's sakes, in the 40s. Like, oh, this crooner stuff is terrible. Ruining the youth. And then it was rock and roll. Then it was more rock and roll. It was the Beatles and the long hair. And you look at pictures of the Beatles in 1964. And in what world is that long hair? Right? But at the time, oh, man, the hair, hippies, long hair. Now, later in the 60s, sure. But times have always changed. And there's always a disconnect. Who would want to like what their parents like exclusively? So just because you don't get it doesn't mean it's not out there. Doesn't mean it doesn't matter. You don't have to educate people to motivate people. You don't have to inform them. And you certainly don't have to be honest with them. I don't know that Taylor Swift would lie. I know that Taylor Swift would be lied to and just repeat the lie. Why? Because why not? Look, if the president's campaign is telling you things, wouldn't you tend to believe, especially if you're somebody who doesn't follow this stuff, who's too busy doing whatever the hell it is she does, wouldn't you just go, well, they're not going to lie to me. It's the president of the United States. What are the odds that Taylor Swift is going to be within the orbit of anybody or even within shouting distance where she could hear it and then respond to anybody who would contradict what the president's team would give to her, would tell to her? And it's not just them. It's not just Taylor Swift. There are people out there, accounts with 100 followers can do something, say something that goes viral. All you really need to do is get it in front of people who don't know any better, people for whom history begins anew every single day they wake up or doesn't start until the day that they were born, people who know more genders than presidents, that sort of mentality. Those people are really easy to influence because they're ignorant. I hesitate to call them dumb because dumb is something that really I don't believe can be overcome. Dumb and stupid. But ignorant. You can learn over the course of your life the truth. But if you are dumb, you're not going to learn all that much. If you're ignorant, you can certainly become exposed to more information. But we're not dealing with these people when they're 35 years old and trying to pay a mortgage and make ends meet and realizing just how much of their hard-earned income Uncle Sam is screwing over and squandering. We're dealing 
with 19-year-old ignorant and there's nothing more dangerous there's nothing you ask any 19-year-old what they don't know and the list will contain like three things like, oh, I only don't know this that and, the other. and everything else I pretty much got a good handle on god there's nothing there's nothing more destructive than a teenage boy nothing dumber than a teenage boy but an an ignorant young person and I was one of them sit there and go there's I, I know everything I got this all figured out and later on in life you go okay well maybe I was off on a couple of things but they're not there yet you're dealing with people for whom getting attention is everything getting a social media follow my god if Taylor Swift said uh, show me that you're going to vote for Joe Biden and I'll uh, retweet you or something, boom, Twitter would break. It would go absolutely insane. That's all she has to do. It's not everybody, it's not everything, but it could be enough in a very close race. Well, the polls show, national polls show, this isn't a national race. This is a race in about five to seven states in probably 10 counties in each of those states. That's really where this election will be decided. This is where this election should mostly be run. You can't ignore everywhere else, but you damn well better pay attention to these places. And if you can get a a bus tour of Joe Biden or one of his surrogates rolling through town with uh, with Taylor Swift, the crowd, the turnout would be gigantic. Her little uh, dumbass boyfriend, too, Travis Kelsey, and he's he's in every third commercial right now, and uh, you know he's out there hawking the get your fifteenth COVID vaccine shot sort of stuff. Um, do you really think he's a deep thinker who would go? You know what? I disagree with you, honey. On the no, he'd get to trail with him too. The only good thing I would say for Republicans, or the only saving grace, I guess, is that a lot of the followers of Taylor Swift and a lot of people who are influenced by social media and get their news from social media. There's a disturbing trend of people getting their news from social media, but a lot of them are underage. They won't be old enough to vote. So you burn a lot of calories targeting people who can't help you. But you can still reach millions and millions of people. You can still manipulate. It's kind of funny, the media that talks about all the disinformation out there and all that, oh, mis and disinformation is the biggest threat to the world. There's no concern that Taylor Swift, who has yet to speak articulately and knowledgeably on any political subject, would do anything but. But there's no concern for that. New York Times again. Governor Gavin Newsom of California, a top Biden surrogate, all but begged Miss Swift to become, to become more involved in Mr. Biden's campaign when he spoke to reporters after a Republican primary debate in September. Quote, Taylor Swift stands tall and unique. What she was able to accomplish just in getting young people activated to consider that they have a voice and that they should have a choice in the next election, I think is profoundly powerful. They think that they should have it. They do have a choice. What a stupid thing to say. What I'm telling you, these people are are not, they're not stupid. They're evil. There's a difference. They know what they're doing. 
The chatter around Miss Swift and the potential of reaching her 279 million Instagram followers reached such intensity that the Biden team urged applicants on a job posting for a social media position not to describe their Taylor Swift strategy. The campaign had enough suggestions already. One idea that has been tossed around a bit in jest, sending the president to a stop on Miss Swift's Eras tour. You imagine you paid what fifteen hundred dollars to go see Taylor Swift and out pops the crypt keeper. Representative James Clyburn of South Carolina, a key Biden ally, said Democrats need to press an affirmative case for the president, reminding voters that tangible changes to their lives, a cap on insulin costs, a road or bridge repaired for the first time, could be tied to the administration's accomplishments. <laughs> hey, how about the reason you got diabetes in the first? No, shut up. The 2020 campaign, Mr. Clyburn said, quote, people are voting against people were voting against Trump. Our job this time is to convince people to vote for Biden. We can't just rely on this anti-Trump stuff because Trump's supporters are going to turn out big because they are emotionally tied to Trump. We've got to get our voters emotionally tied to Biden. Good luck with that. Good luck with it. You sit there and you go, who in the hell would be emotionally tied to Joe Biden? Well, if Taylor Swift told them he's the guy, she loves him, look out. How many teenage girls knew what a Travis Kelsey was before six months ago? Any of them? Any of them? No, one's not living in Kansas City or the immediate area around it. Not many. Now it's like the top or one of the top two selling jerseys in the NFL. There's a lot of people playing the NFL. Travis Kelsey had a good game on Sunday, but he didn't have his best year. He's 33 or 34, whatever it is, he's on the downslope when it comes to his career. Sorry, you know, he said to go, why, he's still young. Yes, he is still young, except for when you consider him as an NFL player. The average NFL player lasts like know, five years or something in the league. He's been in longer than that because he's in a position where he's less likely to take that much damage, but he's still taking damage. It's a young man's game, meaning, you know, 22 to 26, 28 out of college. He's been in longer than that. He's setting records. When you're setting all-time records, you've been around a while. So you sit there and you go, he's an older guy. Nobody would ever heard of unless you're a fan of the NFL. And now suddenly people are buying up his jerseys like crazy. Why do you think that is? Because they really like his new subway ads? Because they want more vaccinations? Or is it because he's dating Taylor Swift? Oh, yeah, it's because he's dating Taylor Swift. Look, I'm just telling you the information. What you do with it is up to you. You can poo-poo it all you want. Just because you flush the toilet doesn't mean the bathroom don't stink. Telling you the truth whether you like it or not. Just to wrap up this New York Times story, uh, it says talking about t pop culture and Taylor Swift getting in there. So the campaign has also answered gripes about its slow pace of hiring by bringing on a slew of new staff members. 
It now has more than 100 staff members with teams on the ground in six battleground states and South Carolina, which will hold the first recognized Democratic primary on Saturday. Yet many new hires are working jobs roughly similar to what they did at their state parties in Wisconsin. The six new Biden campaign staff members all came from the state's Democratic Party, and they are all still working in the same offices and conference rooms. The spokesman for a super PAC behind the push to write in Mr. Biden's name in the Democratic primary in New Hampshire will be the campaign manager for Mr. Biden in the state. Remember when they tried to tell you that the president wasn't involved in New Hampshire? And they go, but look at how many votes he got written in. The New Hampshire primary was just last week. Do you really think they just right away decided to hire this person? Oh, now that it's over, we've decided to hire this person who was spearheading the campaign to get Joe Biden's name written in. No. They maybe weren't paying them directly, paying that woman directly, but they were paying that woman. There's no way this went on without the Democratic Party's blessing. I told you that at the time. Now they just made it a week later. Oh, it's a miracle. Look, we've hired this person. You mean, okay. Who was paying her before? History begins anew today. Don't say anything. You got to love that. You got to love that. Miss O'Malley Dillon, who managed the Biden, Mr. Biden's 2020 campaign, is widely viewed as a stabilizing force and will arrive in Wilmington with decision-making authority that was not afforded to the campaign manager, Julie Chavez Rodriguez. Now, wait a second. I don't know who O'Malley Dillon is, but that sure sounds white to me. Sounds almost translucent to be. Uh, yeah, I looked it up. There she is. Not only is she white, she's straight. She's married to some guy named Patrick Dillon. Ugh, just the worst. Just the worst. They're replacing a woman of color, or not necessarily replacing, of course, Julie Chavez Rodriguez. Two asterisks in that name, one in the Chavez and one in the Rodriguez. That's how you know you've really hit the jackpot in the identity politics bingo game. But she's uh, going back to Wilmington with decision-making authority that was not afforded the campaign manager. Well, what's the point of being a campaign manager if you can't make decisions? Does the president not trust Brown women. Does Taylor Swift know about this? Of course, Taylor Swift literally is translucent. She is. She's basically a snowman with boobs. Kurt, uh, Kirk Wagar. Wagar, Wagar, W-A-G-A-R, a Democratic donor who served as an ambassador to Singapore during the Obama administration. Don't you love that? Democratic donor who served as ambassador to Singapore, right? They just it's such a part of the culture now, this pay for play business that they just go. Yeah, I know. He wrote a big enough check. Got to go to Singapore. Singapore ain't nothing. It's not, you know, France. It's not England. It's not Israel. It's not Saudi Arabia. It's, but it's still important. It's not China. Tells you how much of our government is for sale. The ambassadorship to Singapore is for sale. Uh, Singapore, during the Obama administration, said, quote, having 100% of a mind like Jen O'Malley thinking about the campaign can't be anything other than a great thing, end quote. 
Yeah, thank God. Thank God they're getting rid of that uh, that Hispanic woman. They're not getting rid of her, but where is the outrage? Where is the outrage? Now, you got to love that, like, oh, this is a woman-powered campaign. It's a woman-powered campaign. Donald Trump was elected in 2016 with the first female campaign manager in Kellyanne Conway. Never gets the respect for it. Never gets anything for it. Just catches hell. She's on Fox, so the rest of it, uh, the rest of the media just mocks her. There's no, like, hey, you know what? Props. They love firsts if they're done by leftists. Once they found out that, I don't know, if they found out that Neil Armstrong, before he died, said, you know what? A man is a man is a woman is a woman. There's only two genders. They would ignore him being the first man on the moon if they thought they'd get away with it. They simply have an agenda uber alles. And it permeates everything. And you can sit there and you can poo-poo the idea of Taylor Swift or social media and blah, blah, blah. All you want. You damn well better have a, a plan to counter it. You can dislike it, but you damn well better have a plan to counter it. Because it will matter. It's the repetition. It's the you know the, the idea of you just spread a lie. You can say, they all say, Trump lies, Trump lies, Trump, Trump's a politician. Yeah, he lies. They all lie. Every single one of them lie to one degree or another. The degree of the lie, the subject of the lie does matter. It's sad that we have to, as a country, go through that. But Democrats are trying to tell you, you've got it great. You've got it good. What's, what's the bigger lie? Donald Trump saying he had the best economy ever. Or Joe Biden telling you, you've got it good and you just don't know it. Which is bigger? Which one matters more? One is the current president of the United States essentially telling you he's not going to do squat. For, look, you, you've got it good. You quit complaining. It's essentially saying it's not going to get any better. All right. Inflation's not going to go away. We're not going to get rid of this inflation. We're not going to see the prices drop. You're not. It's just not going to happen. Get over it. And the other one is, you know, all right, it was maybe not the best economy ever, but it's top five for sure. Which one has a bigger impact? Which one is more important? One is ego-based. Trump's is ego-based. Hyperbole. Exaggeration. And one is straight out, the border is secure. Now, there. how can you say that's a lie? Well, that's what they used to say. And now Biden's saying the border isn't secure. And he said the other day that the border hasn't been secured for like 10 years. I mean, way to throw your Secretary of Homeland Security, who's just one of the most smug jackasses on the face of the earth, Alejandro Mayorkas, under the bus. He's up there on Capitol Hill not that long ago testifying, the border is secure. The border is secure. Yes, we have secured the border. Nobody has done more to secure the border than this president. All of his goon squad, his army of flying monkeys, the border is secure. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. Secure, secure, secure. And then the president comes along. Now the border isn't secure. It hasn't been secure for 10 years. Hey, everybody out there making a fool of yourself. For me, I'm going to come up and, I don't know, I'm going to pour some sugar in your gas tank. It's all good. Don't worry about it. It's a sign of senility. But again, look at where the polls are. Yes, 
Republicans are doing well. Republicans were doing well in the 2022 polls. Republicans were doing well in the 2020 polls. Republicans were doing well in the 2018 polls. Polls have gone the other direction in being bad, but they're consistently bad. Look at the situation and go, wait a second. At best, this is a very close race. And so everything matters. So a Taylor Swift endorsement does matter. A Stephen Colbert might not matter in the grand scheme of things. And you go, oh, Stephen Colbert, nobody watches Stephen Colbert. Enough people watch Stephen Colbert. A million to a million and a half people, maybe two million people on a good night watch Stephen Colbert. Now, they're all probably liberals. I don't know who else would do that, would watch that, subject themselves to that. But they may not want to vote for Joe Biden. They may not be excited about voting for Joe Biden. But he is out there making it, making his show an in-kind contribution to Joe Biden. I want to show you how far what passes for comedy has fallen with Colbert. He did a, I don't know if you can call this a bit, as part of a monologue, but it seems more like a campaign speech. These, these late night shows used to have, you know, set up punchline jokes. Now they have a complain applause line. And it's all about, oh, those Republicans suck. Ah, yeah, yeah, clap, 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 clap. Everybody agree with me. That sort of thing. It's, it's so bad. I don't know why anybody would watch this. Rather, I don't know, eat paste then watch this crap. But he did something that is profoundly unfunny, painfully so. The audience didn't even really laugh at it. They kind of polite laughed, and a lot of it is like you laugh when somebody's embarrassing themselves because it's like awkward and uncomfortable. But he basically prostitutes himself for the Biden administration, telling the audience, telling his audience, you don't know how good you've got it. You don't. Things are good. Stop complaining Vote for Joe Biden. If you think I'm exaggerating, listen for yourself. Oh, there's good news. There's, there's more good news for Biden. The economy is cooking right along. The Dow is north of 38,000 today. Wages are up. Unemployment below 4% for thir- 23 months in a row. And today, the Commerce Department announced the economy grew at 3.3% rate in the last quarter. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's a little technical, but according to macroeconomic theory, number go up equal good. Now, is that right? Can you check my math? Can you check me, can you check me on that? I got you. I got you. You, check, you, got, you got that? Okay. For all last year, a bunch of people were predicting a recession, but instead, every economic indicator of Bidenomics is positive, or as the news people call it, it's an economy that is cooling on the inflation front, but still showing growth on the, the spending front, the Goldilocks. Perfect Goldilocks scenario. We're getting some of that Goldilocks. It is Goldilocks. This is Goldilocks. That's right, Jack. Things are going Goldilocks. Now look up. Look here. I'm serious, folks. I knew Goldilocks. Nice gal. Real particular. Real particular about her porridge. Not me, though. Hot, cold. Don't bother me. I'll toss that bowl down. Tooth sweet, soft foods, doctor's orders. <laughs> the old mouth chicklets aren't, was, aren't what they used to be. But, lost, a, lost the words there a little bit. Can't, can't win them every time. But even though it looks like there's no recession and the economy looks good on paper, people feel like it's not 
bouncing back. And this bad feeling, the media has dubbed the vibe session. <laughs> and I get it, but thankfully, I have a foolproof way to bring the nation out of a vibe session. This is... Stephen Colbert's Vibe Session. What's cooking, my fiscal cats? You out there counting your ducats? Let me brighten your economic outlook with my bongo sonic output. Hit it! Dig. You're drowning in dough, but you don't feel it because it's not yet bread. I'm talking that sweet pumpernickel, baby. Because I heard from a little bird that in 2023, the U.S. economy accelerated at a 2.5% annualized pace and coal prices for personalized consumption expenditures rose just 2% in the fourth quarter. No wonder Janet's yelling. So no need to go slow, Joe. The vibe session will be jazz-suscitated. And if the economy starts this cooking in November, We'll make Trump a way gone daddy. Yeah, it's just this side of leaning in the passenger side window going, you looking for a date? You looking for... That actually is more honest than what Colbert is doing. You don't know how good you've got it. You don't know how good... It's a one-hour nightly commercial for the president who is suffering from dementia. You don't know how good you've got it. You looking for a date? Looking for a date? Aren't you embarrassed for him? I'm embarrassed for him. I can't stand the guy, but I'm embarrassed for him. The streetwalkers do have more dignity than the late night comedians, but this is what passes. I, I hesitate to call him a comedian. This is what passes for comedy, though. The Dow. By the way, I love the idea that they're sitting around talking about the Dow Jones is up. The Dow Jones is up. Donald Trump touted the Dow Jones Industrial Average being up more than just about any president ever has in history. And every time he did it, because it was continually going up then too. And every time he did it, what did the left say? Wall Street's doing well, but what about Main Street? Wall Street is doing well, but what about Main Street? And now that they're president, they have the presidency. It's like, well, the Dow is up. The Dow is up in record territory. Again, did did Main Street move down to Wall Street? Is there something going on here? Did, did the poles on the planet shift? Did the geography change dramatically? No, they didn't. The political party of the president of the United States and the people in pop culture, that changed. That's all that mattered. That's all that changed. That's all the only thing different. And so like, no, well, the Dow is up. I don't know what you're complaining about. Sure, you can't afford to fill your car up and feed your family, but look, the Dow is up. Your 401k is doing well. Granted, you have to take out a loan. You have to pay a substantial penalty for early withdrawal from your 401k in order to not lose your house. But the Dow is up. I don't know what you're t- the the money you're paying a substantial penalty on is uh, is up. And yeah, of course, credit card interest rates are up, and your mortgage rates are way up. You can't afford a house. But whatever, don't you understand that the Dow is above thirty eight thousand? Don't you know what that means? 
People that make $10 million or more a year like Stephen Colbert have seen their investments go through the roof. Stephen Colbert is not hurting. Why are you complaining so much? <laughs> it's Jane Fonda going to North Vietnam, talking to the prisoners, going, why are you acting like you're hungry? Don't you get it? We just had a great buffet inside the guardhouse. I don't know what your problem is. You people, swear to God, you'd be unhappy at the Four Seasons. All you do is complain. This is the progressive mindset. I'm okay. I don't even ask whether or not you're okay. I don't care. I'm okay. So you must be okay. The nation lives and breathes, rises and falls, ebbs and flows with Stephen Colbert's bottom line. Yeah, you don't know how good you've got it. It's a hell of a campaign strategy. But if you can get Taylor Swift on board and you've got everybody else on television on board, it doesn't matter how much you dislike it, doesn't matter how much you don't watch it or how much you don't care, that's a hell of a lot to overcome. Part of the uh, strength that Republicans have is that you look at Joe Biden, Democrats look at Joe Biden and go, ugh, he's terrible. Or they look at him and they go, he's senile. And maybe they don't care about his policies, but they look at him and they go, he's, he's senile. This is, there's something wrong with it. They're preaching to the choir. They need to get people excited. Someone like Colbert can do that. I'm looking at the, the ratings right now. Late Show aired fewer episodes this fall. This is from Variety. Fewer episodes this fall as Colbert was out for a week due to COVID-19. Well, that's weird. He's been a pincushion with vaccines. How could he possibly have caught COVID-19? And out uh, again more recently for several weeks due to a ruptured appendix. However, in originals, Colbert was still tops with total viewers at 1.88 million, followed by Kimmel at 1.68 million and Fallon at 1.31 million. Seth Meyers got uh, 792,000. Reminder that these two, or these are linear live same day numbers only between October 2nd, when all shows return post-strike, and December 10th. With so much viewing of late night now online, it's tougher to properly gauge the popularity of late night in 2023, but this is at least the first measuring stick in the long tail. The When live plus most current numbers are used, now live plus is people who, it really should just be how many people watched it live. I've seen clips online. I would count these numbers. If you've seen clips on social media, even if you didn't really watch more than 10 seconds of it, you, you count during this. Because, again, if you control the unit of measure, you control everything. If you can't attract an audience in the traditional sense, all you do is change the way the audience is calculated. And suddenly you're a big success again. You've alienated audiences from your medium because it's across the board. And then they say, hey, uh, we'll count people who watch online. And we'll count views the way that like Twitter does. If you watch, I think, three seconds of a video with even no audio turned on. Like, that counts. You're a viewer. Or on YouTube, if you watch 10 seconds, even with no sound, you're a viewer. Facebook, it's three or five seconds. And the videos are on autoplay. You don't have to hit mute. You don't even have to stop scrolling. It's just as long as that video is playing for five seconds, it counts as a view. You control the unit of measure. You control everything. So when you add in all of that crap, that's the number they're probably using to sell advertisers. Advertisers are being ripped off. They don't care. They're all down. It's all part of the uh, back-scratching society. 
So, so when live plus most current numbers are used, which includes time-shifted live plus seven ratings, October 2nd to December 6th, blah, 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 blah. Colbert pulls further ahead. When repeats are not included, the late show in its first viewers is first in viewers with 2.66 million, followed by Jimmy Kimmel Live with 1.91 million, and The Tonight Show with 1.42 million, meaning when you add in all the social media and all the other platforms, then suddenly Colbert is wildly, wildly popular. They probably came up with this because in actual live human beings watching, Colbert was losing to Greg Gutfeld back when he was on at 11 o'clock, and they can't have that. So they said, well, let's let's count in this and let's factor in that, but let's not do that with Gutfeld either, because if they did that, I promise you the numbers would be about the same. But that is how it works, and you say, well, committed Democrats again. Well, Democrats, yes, committed is a different story. This is where it matters. This is where the Taylor Swift demographic comes in. In adults 18 to 49, now that's a pretty wide berth, but it's the 18 part that matters. The younger people. And it's really, what does an 18-year-old have in common with a 49-year-old? Absolutely nothing. But Colbert has 296,000 viewers. Kimmel has 280,000 and Fallon has 246,000. I would like to point out, if you really want to know why Taylor Swift is so important to these people when they've got is like, well, you're going to attract the young people through the comedians. You can't. You really can't. If you're looking at a viewership, eh, let's not use the inflated numbers of 2.66 million for, for Colbert. Let's use the old numbers of 1.88 million for Colbert, people who watch live. In the demo, only 286,000 of them are below the age of 50. It's another way to look at it. They don't highlight it because it doesn't bode well for advertisers. 286,000 people are 49 and below out of 1.88 million people. That's pretty damn bad, to be honest with you. That's really damn bad. But if you don't acknowledge it, did it really happen? The numbers aren't better for Kim or, Fall- or Fallon. And you begin to see that very few young people are watching this crap, which makes the social media influencers, the Dylan Mulvaney's, the Taylor Swift's of the world, and all the weirdos out there on social media, all that much more important. You can't reach those people through traditional means. Democrats are at least acknowledging we've got to try to get Taylor Swift on board so we can reach these people. We're going to go to these weirdo social media influencers and blah, 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 and try to reach these. What is the Republican plan? Well, let's put Ronna Romney McDaniel on uh, CBS's Face the Nation. And that will be, and she'll talk about what the teens are talking about these days. It'll be wonderful. It'll be great. And that will do. No. You think I'm joking. I'm only partially joking. That pretty much does seem like the strategy that Republicans have for reaching young people, which is why somebody needs to come up with something, because otherwise we're absolutely screwed. There's no real point in talking. I mean, we've covered this pretty well. I want to get on to other things because, well, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on. I want to, get, uh, I want to play you this Corinne Jean-Pierre audio. 
The White House spokesman, my God, she is just terrible. She's historic, of course, wildly, wildly historic, but absolutely terrible at the job. Unbelievably awful and unable to think on her feet, unable to read a book. Like There's a freaking book that they give her, a binder, three-ring binder, with everything she needs to know, and she can't read it. She also wears this, at the White House press briefing, she wears this glossy, shiny eyeshadow, which just highlights the fact that she's looking down trying to read or sitting there closing her eyes trying to think about, what, how, do I, how do I say that? I don't know what I'm doing. And she, she really needs to paint eye, eyeballs on her eyelids. So it looks like she's making eye contact with somebody because she doesn't. But she appeared uh, from the White House lawn on... I think MSNBC or CNN, doesn't really matter, talking about the three U.S. soldiers who were killed by Iran. She tried desperately to make it... The whole administration is very, very uh, somber, very dour, very trying to make it seem like they care very deeply about this. They're impacted by this. Now, she could have just, oh, I don't know, done something crazy like memorized three names or even written it down. I think people would forgive her if she had to look down at her. Maybe she might catch some hell, but she had to look down and get the, the names from it just to get them right. But it's Sergeant William Rivers, Specialist Kennedy Sanders, and Brianna Moffat. All right? There's no reason. I'm reading them right now. There's no reason she couldn't have read them. Just to honor them. Instead, she tosses this is on MSNBC. She tosses this word salad. She doesn't even toss this word salad in a bowl. She absolutely just throws it against the wall. I don't know what the hell she's trying to do here. And, it, and then she ends up going off about, well, these are just brave folks who are fighting on behalf of the administration. They want to call Donald Trump a tyrant, a dictator. And here is the official mouthpiece of the president of the United States claiming that the military fights on his behalf what i will say our deepest uh, obviously our deepest condolences uh, go out and our heartfelt condolences go out to the families uh, who lost uh, three three brave uh, three brave uh, three brave of uh, three folks who are who are military folks who are brave who are always fighting who are fighting on behalf and of uh, this administration of the american people obviously more so more importantly uh, we lost those souls what in the hell they lost uh, the folks that they, they, they the three brave three brave three, three brave three brave three brave uh, folks folks who are out there fighting on behalf of this administration really in 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 jordan are we at war in Jordan? I did. I didn't realize we were at war in Jordan. They're out there fighting on behalf of Joe Biden in Jordan, huh? Honestly, if she were not historic, so historic, she would have been fired a long time ago. She never would have gotten the job if she were not uh, historic. That's what she brings to the table. That's all she brings to the table. She is absolutely terrible. She's embarrassing herself. She's embarrassing her boss. That is the, as a former press secretary in politics, that is the number one job is you don't embarrass the, you don't embarrass your boss. You don't embarrass the boss. And you do that by not embarrassing yourself. You do that by knowing your stuff. You do that by being alert. Now she's on MSNBC. A normal person interviewing her would go, really? Did you just choke over those words? 
I have $5,000 for your favorite charity, Kirin Jean-Pierre, if you can name all three of the American soldiers who were killed without looking down in the next 10 seconds. Go. And just, you know, embarrassed. It wouldn't matter. The person would be excommunicated from the left, from the media, from journalism, and Kirin Jean-Pierre would not lose her job in any event. There's literally nothing she could do. The only, well, the only thing she could do to lose her job would come out and say, you know what? Even though I'm a lesbian, I know what a woman is. Then it would be like, whoa, wait a second. Or, hey, you know what? I don't think abortion on demand is such a great thing. I think that maybe after eight months you should have made your mind up. Oh, that's it. Get out. That would be the only thing. She could be as horrible as as possible. And she's actually been more horrible than even possible at the job and not risk losing it. Speaking of horrible at the job, good old Joy Reid. Joy Reid, she is a piece of, uh, well, something. For the sake of family friendliness, I'll say work and allow your brain to replace the word work with another four-letter word, whatever might come to mind. This is an illustration. She's not, she's talking... She's talking about the president. She's talking about Joe Biden. She, I want you to pay it. It's not what she's running about Joe Biden about the border is irrelevant. She's talking off camera. She's talking while the audio is playing. And she's talking to her staff. Now, she's either talking about the situation in the Middle East with Iran or she's talking about somehow starting a war with the border, whatever. What she says, I had to bleep out the F word, but what she says is about the president starting another bleeping war. She'll never say that to her audience. She would never make a point of... That would be heresy from the highest order to speak out against the sitting Democratic president. Even though, you know, like, oh, I don't like what they're doing with Iran. I don't like what they're doing with Israel. Whatever it is, they're not allowed to really disagree. They can disagree a little bit on the Israeli thing because the progressives are like, well, we alienate our audience if we embrace the Jews in any way, shape or form. So we have to kind of be critical of that. But it is an indication that what Joy Reid is telling her audience knowingly is a little bit different than what Joy Reid is telling and saying behind the scenes when she thinks her audience isn't listening. It's just that in this case, somebody forgot to turn down her microphone. Congressional Republicans love to latch on to President Biden and Democrats' successful policies and take credit for things they didn't do while tying themselves into pretzels to do nothing for the American people for the sake of Donald Trump. Case in point, fixing what they say is a crisis at the border. With congressional negotiators continuing work on a bipartisan deal to tie border policy changes to funding for Ukraine. Over the weekend, President Biden said he's ready to take action if Congress is serious about solving the border issue. If that bill were the law today, I'd shut down the border right now and fix it quickly. And Congress needs to get it done. Starting another war. Still trying to kill the deal. He bragged about blocking progress and said, please, please blame him if it fails. Meanwhile, the... Yeah, no, oh, wait. Oops. Your microphone was on, Joy. Starting another bleeping war. Uh, 
talking over the press because behind the scenes in TV, the way that you can operate is you know they're, they're playing audio or video as the case maybe you're not on camera you assume and most oftentimes your microphone is not on the producers are whispering in your ear and you can talk back to them and then when they come back you are ready to go and you're live again they forgot to turn down their microphone now realistically you should what i've been told is you should assume every microphone in front of you is always on it's always on so don't don't be swearing don't be doing anything stupid don't contradict yourself she's doing all of these things Start another bleeping war. Well, okay, Joy, if you think the president is out there starting another bleeping war, where? Where? And where is the monologue from Joy Reid about this another bleeping war that Joe Biden is starting? Shouldn't she be out there warning her audience about such things? Wouldn't that be Hoover? Wouldn't that be honest? No, I understand. The idea of honesty is absurd when it comes to Joy Reid, but... You know, you just throw it out there. Where is the uh, where is the monologue on this if you think this is what Joe Biden is doing? Now, later on, she did apologize. She said, quote, before we go, I just want to apologize very quickly. I was chatting during a clip that was playing. And, you know, we try to keep this show very PG-13. So I just want to apologize to anyone who was listening to my behind-the-scenes chatter. I deeply, deeply apologize for that. I want to apologize to anybody who accidentally heard me tell the truth. I don't like Joe Biden. I don't like what's going on. I'm more radical than I let on. But that's not an approved message here at MSNBC. It's not something I'm allowed to talk about. And it's not something the Democratic Party wants. And I'm already skating on thin ice since my ratings are terrible. And I'm just a horrible, horrible host and bad person who only screams about racism all day long. So I realize that I, you know, can't drop the ball very often. I'll never address why I was saying that Joe Biden was starting another effing war. Since, you know, say, well, I wasn't talking about Joe Biden. Nobody else would have the authority to start a war. Nobody else would have the ability to start a war. Donald Trump could say all kinds of things he wants, and they can lie about it all they want, but they cannot give him the power to start a war. Start another effing... And by the way, it can't be... The word another is the giveaway. Donald Trump started zero wars while he was president. Um, No wars started on his watch, whereas Joe Biden is... What are we looking at? We're looking at Ukraine... We're looking at Israel and uh, Hamas. We're looking in Yemen. We're basically teetering on the brink of it in, in China and, and Taiwan. We have a whole lot of conflicts going on that are new, that are specific to Joe Biden. And then we've got the possibility of something with Iran, which for some weird reason, so many people are so, I don't understand why we're so afraid of Iran. They don't have a nuclear bomb yet. This is the time to stand up to Iran if we are to stand up to Iran at all. When they get a nuclear weapon, there is no time to stand up to Iran. They'll use it. We won't. They will. We don't even have the threat of it. And you got the president of the United States. You got his mouthpiece and John Kirby over at the Pentagon because Corinne Jean-Pierre is so terrible at her job. They have to bring in John Kirby again to talk about it, saying, we don't want a war with Iran. We don't want to escalate this. We don't want to get a blah, 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 blah. Okay, great. 
you can have that as your hope, your fervent hope behind the scenes. Absolutely. But you never tell the enemy what you're doing. Basically, you're saying, look, Iran, we're not going to come after you. All right. At most, we're going to maybe bomb some warehouse that's closed. We'll give you like a couple hours a heads up to move stuff out of there. And then we'll say, hey, look at what we did. Don't worry. We don't want to escalate this at all. Well, then Iran is going to just keep doing what they're doing. Iran has zero incentive to be concerned about continuing to do what they're doing. There is no consequence to continuing to do what they're doing if you have publicly declared that you have no interest in escalating. It should be, hey, we're going to do whatever we have to do, and we're going to respond however we see fit, regardless of what there's no proportionality. If we decide it's in our interest to absolutely go and decimate somebody, we're going to go and decimate somebody. We're not going to sit there and go, well, they did this, so we can only do that. No, we're going to protect our soldiers. We're going to protect our civilians. We're going to protect our interests. Iran will never see it coming. No one will ever see it coming. We will do what must be done. That should be the response. It's just not the response. It's, we don't want to, well, no, we don't want to offend the, the, the mullahs over there. They're just probably five minutes away from sending Joe Biden to some mosque to go and prostrate himself in front of people going, we're so sorry. I just want you to know that we are, we're not, uh, well, Donald Trump did the Muslim ban. We'll never do anything like that. Islam is a religion of, you know, I grew up in the, uh, in the mosque. He already said he grew up in the black church and he grew up in synagogues. Why wouldn't he throw a mosque in there? What's this? I mean, hell, Joe Biden's never been bound by the truth before in his life. There's no way in God's green earth he's going to start now. Let's talk about Iran for a second, shall we? I have a clip from Morning Joe this morning. Good old Mojo. Never before have so many people gathered together and the collective IQ goes down. Normally, you know, you, you add numbers together and like, okay, well, this person has a 100 IQ. And this person has a 120 IQ. You put them together, they have 220 IQ points working towards this. No. Collectively, at uh, Morning Joe, the sum total of IQ points of their panel of guests, usually six to eight people, is usually less than the number of people, which is a feat in and of itself. And they had on Richard Haas, who is the, he's now the chairman emeritus of the Council on Foreign Relations, longtime head of the Council on Foreign Relations. And you give these organizations these impressive sounding names, the Council on Foreign Relations. Oh, they must be experts. Now, not really. A lot of people, I've known some people in the council, involved in the Council on Foreign Relations. It's a more who you know, it's, it's a hobby sort of thing. It's, it may have started off as something important, but it, like most things, just became an exercise in stupidity and self-love and whatever. And Richard Haas, he, went on, he goes on MSNBC a lot. He's on Morning Joe an awful lot. And they're talking about Iran. And they're just spitballing about Iran. This audio is is something to fully behold. Listen to it for yourself. For a country that claims in Iran it doesn't want an escalation, it doesn't want a war, it sure seems to be attacking American and other Western interests a lot. So what, if we look at it from their point of view, 
What are they up to here? What do they want? Because they're going to get a retaliation from the United States here. What Iran wants to do is use its proxies, one step removed, to get the United States out of the Middle East. They want the United States forces out of Iraq, which Iran increasingly dominates. They want United States forces out of Syria, essentially to complete the, the, the civil war. Iran already dominates Lebanon. What they are looking for is to essentially, essentially dominate big chunks of the Middle East. They've got Hamas and Hezbollah on Israel. Yeah, but, but what started all this? It was Saudi Arabia. I mean, it was Saudi Arabia getting closer to, to Israel, doing the deal. And oh, it started start October 7th. Which, again, everything, we're, we, this, these are just the trailers from October the 7th. All of this is in reaction to October the 7th. Right. So, Joe, my point is if there's things we want to do against Iran, I'm just saying is that Iran has a lot of tools. And the idea that we can somehow deal them a decisive blow is unlikely. And we've got to say, given what's going on in Europe, which and given what's going on potentially in, in Asia, mm -hmm. how much how much of our resources, how much of our time do we want to devote to this part of the world? Again, we have spent the last several decades devoting a disproportionate amount of American lives and dollars and time to the greater Middle East. Well, no, I, and, and you've said that you've said that consistently. And you have people like. <clears throat> well, the Trump administration that thought they could do these great Middle East plans without the Palestinians. Minor, minor omission. Guess no. what? We can't move on from the Middle East but until we take of care of the Palestinians. We have to have a two-state solution. So here, history finds us again. 100%. And that's one of the tools that's been missing is exactly the one you just put your finger on. It's the diplomatic tool and the idea that we could you know, walk away from the Middle East without a, without a Palestinian dimension was clearly a major fallacy. And that yeah. is what I think we are coming up against now. The problem is we have neither an, Isra an Israeli nor a Palestinian partner. A couple of things to unpack here. Which party is it that made us more... First of all, well, with what's going on in Europe, meaning Ukraine... We're not involved in the war in Ukraine. We're just throwing money and, and equipment at it, right? That's what I thought. Nothing has actually happened in Asia yet, not for lack of incompetence on behalf of the Biden administration, but mostly because China's military, China's Navy isn't quite ready, capable of crossing the China, South China Sea into invading Taiwan. They just they don't have the capacity yet to successfully do that. They want to be able to do it in an overwhelming way. But they say, well, we've uh, disproportionately spent too much time and treasure in the Middle East. Why do we do that? Well, we need this thing called oil. I don't know if you've heard of oil or not. But it's, you know of greasy politicians. But they have this thing called oil where too much has been, we need it. We need it for energy. We need it for gasoline. We need it for you know just about everything that we make, as a matter of fact. And without it, we're screwed. So we could have been, because in fact we were at one point, not that long ago, energy independent. We were a net energy exporter, a net oil exporter, which meant that the happenings and the goings-on in the Middle East still mattered to us, but they mattered differently. See, they're, they're an existential issue if we are dependent upon that region for our energy. They are a humanitarian and foreign policy issue if we don't need that era or area 
for energy. See the difference? Joe Biden comes into office and stops all the drilling, stops all the pipelines, says no more this, no more that, no more the other thing. We're going to move on, blah, blah, blah. Mandate, mandate, mandate. And you end up in a situation where we suddenly go from a net oil exporter back to a net oil importer. Joe Biden never did campaign on energy independence in terms of oil. He did campaign on energy independence in terms of the giant ball of fire in the sky but I'm not really sure that that's ready for prime time. But in the meantime, he screwed us over from oil and gas. So that's why we have to care about what's going on in the Middle East. If you want to care less, Richard Haas and Joe Scarborough and Willie Geist and the gang, then drill, baby, drill. But they don't want that. They can't stand that. Well, they, they probably do want that. I don't believe that, again... At least Joe Scarborough is that stupid. I think he's that opportunistic. He recognizes that he can't say that. So he's not about to say that. But he knows full well that the Biden administration screwed us into this thing. That's why he has to bring up Donald Trump. Well, you can't have peace in the Middle East without uh, addressing the Palestinian issue. Well, we actually did. We During the Trump administration, again, there were some peace deals between Israel and foreign countries, including bringing Saudi Arabia together with Israel. It was not Saudi Arabia that broke the peace. It's not Saudi Arabia that is involved in bombing or funding Hamas. That's all Iran. It is not moving forward without a peace. It's Iran. Iran is the problem. Do we really want to get in there? Can we... Do we want to solve the situation? There's a common denominator out there that is the problem. It's named Iran. Now, you can tell me you don't want to solve the problem, and you're perfectly free to not want to solve the problem. But you're not perfectly free to misdefine the problem. The problem is Iran. It is not the region unless you count the influence of Iran in the region. It is all down to Iran. So which would be more important, the future of Kiev or the future of the Middle East? Which one has bigger ramifications? I'm not saying pro-Kiev under the, the bus or what have you, but to sit there and say, we must, with what's going on in, in Europe, we couldn't possibly deal with Iran right now is insane. It also belies the point that we're not dealing with a hot war that we're involved in at either point. Our military, far as I was concerned, was always was operating under the idea that it could handle two wars at the same time. Was it not? Isn't that what the deal was? Wasn't that what you were told growing up? We could handle two wars at the same time. That's how strong our military was because you didn't know what was going to happen. And that was a smart play. We had it. We spent a ton of money on it. Is that now gone? Because we have maybe a potential war where we'd have to send aid to Taiwan. I don't think we're going to war over Taiwan. And we're not going to war over Ukraine. So we could engage in two hot wars simultaneously. Our military is designed for that. Or we could send aid to one place and maybe be ready to send aid to someplace else. It's the same There's a huge difference between the two. Which is it? Have we been lied to? The invasion of Ukraine stalling and failing miserably and just floundering into this quagmire 
exposed the Russian military as being a bit of a paper tiger. And he's like, oh, my God, they just they spent like three months stuck in the mud in the mountains. Literally, they just sitting ducks. They sat there for the, the spring until the rain stopped and the road hardened. They were stuck there in the mud, sitting ducks. And you look at the fact that they couldn't overwhelm Ukraine quickly. And you thought they are the second part, second or third strongest military in the world. And you realize, my God, maybe they were so corrupt that everything was being stolen. They saw Putin and his buddies stealing. So the military said, well, I'm going to take a slice, too. And instead of maintaining their equipment, they they siphoned the money off. Instead of maintaining troop readiness, they took the money for that and they took a slice of that all the way on down the line so that the Russian military got fat, the equipment got broken, what have you. My God, look at Russia. And now you're sitting here listening to these people talk and you go, did we fall for the same thing? Are we running risk of being the same thing, being exposed as the same? I don't know the answer to that question. I don't think any of these clowns do either. But the way they're talking about it seems to be coming from the presumption that it is. We couldn't possibly. We can't can't go to war with Iran. Iran's government is wildly unpopular with the people of Iran. There's, There's some support. But it's wildly unpopular with the populace of Iran. Go and look up. Just at some point this week, do yourself a favor. Spend five minutes online looking up what Iran was like in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Look up pictures from pre-1979 and the Islamic Revolution. Look them up. You, wouldn't be, you would not know where those pictures are taken. If they weren't labeled as being from Iran, you would have no idea where those pictures were taken. You're like, is that is that California? Is this a college campus somewhere in the United States? Ooh, there's some good looking women there walking around in in, you know, normal clothes. And juxtapose that with pictures of modern Iran. You go, Wow, is that did somebody wash Casper the Friendly Ghost's outfit with black paint? What's going on? What how does that person have eye slots? And that's it. It's, that's it. It's a dramatic change. Do you think people really want that? There are a lot of people who are alive in 1979 who remember what life was like when they were freer. It wasn't utopia, but they were certainly freer. They did not want an Islamic republic. They do not want to live under Sharia law. But if they come out and say, we don't want to live under Sharia law, there's a pretty good chance that the practitioners of Sharia law are just going to kill them, right? Just kill them right away. So you sit there and you go, well, that's that kind of sucks. We got to keep quiet about this. We got to wait for our opportunity. And sadly, if you'd watch the news during the so-called Arab Spring and a couple of other times when like the religious police have beaten to death a woman for not covering her hair, um, the people have stood up and our government, unfortunately, was controlled by Democrats both times. The Arab Spring under Barack Obama and the young woman being beaten to death by the religious police under Joe Biden. So they did nothing. They didn't even bother offering words of encouragement to those people standing up against their government, when in reality they should have not only been offering words of encouragement, they should have been Shipping, you really want to see a bang for your buck. 
send these people, the leaders of the opposition, which we know who they are, send them the means by which to at least try to free themselves. And you don't do it willy-nilly. You don't just give them weapons and say, go to town. There are strings attached to these weapons. We will offer you logistic and intelligence supports and equipment to help you overthrow this tyrannical regime on condition that the second you do or are successful or even if you take an area where parts of Iran's nuclear program exist, we're coming in to dismantle it, to blow it up. Now, you have to agree to this in order to get this support. And it doesn't matter if you change your mind, if you try to finagle it, or if we find out that you are trying to hide or perpetuate this program, you have then moved from somebody we're helping to our enemy slot, and we will destroy you. Do you understand me? We will help you throw off the shackles of radical Islam and the mullahs in Tehran on condition that we get to wipe out the nuclear program, period. That's it. That's the only string attached. But there isn't a Democrat in the country who would even suggest that. Instead, you get a whole bunch of weak-kneed leftists going, well, Donald Trump, is sure t- Donald Trump hasn't been president for four years. I don't know if you're aware of this, you guys. But it's been a while. Things haven't gone to hell under Donald Trump. And now Joe Biden's trying to put them back together. They were together. They've gone to hell under Joe Biden. And he doesn't seem to have a damn clue on how to put them back together. He also doesn't seem to have a damn clue what day it is or whether or not he's seen this episode of Golden Girls before. So, I mean, I guess you can't expect much from him. But from the brain trust of the left, you Damn well better be able to expect more than this, shouldn't you? I want to shift gears. Well, we're talking about Biden's incompetence, but I want to shift gears a little bit to the border just because the greatest hits is uh, as the Democrats are running around going, those are Republicans. They're standing in the way of progress. They're they're refusing to do some kind of deal. Look, if Joy Reid and Joe Scarborough and Rachel Maddow and all that, if they're touting a deal, you don't want anything to do with it. You don't want that's a pretty good indication that it is not good for the United States. You want nothing to do with it. Like oh, it's a bipartisan deal. Bipartisan means you get some squishy Republican to get on board and go. Okay, this is great. In this case, it's uh, Senator Lankford from Oklahoma, where he's sitting there going, "Well, we would have shut, which shuts down the border if five thousand people cross a day. Oh, great! So we can just keep it to four thousand, and we're going to rely on the Biden administration to count." That the world that we're living in, we're going to I wouldn't rely on the Biden administration to tie its own shoes. And if they're wearing slip on shoes, but we're going to count on them to count, take their word for it. Why is 2000 a day cool? Do you think that the smugglers and the cartels are like unable to count? They're counting money. You don't think that they could say, all right, well, here's what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to limit the number of people going in every day. And then we'll do that. And it's all in the good graces of the president of the United States to shut it down. Then it has to be shut down. Oh, okay. Well, Joe Biden has never demonstrated a a willingness to ignore existing law. My God, he would never do such a thing. So just as a reminder of what we're up against as this administration tries to blame and, of course, the entire left-wing establishment tries to blame Republicans for what is going on at the southern border. 
There is uh, this audio. This is from February 2nd, 2021. This is week, a little over about two weeks into Joe Biden's presidency. Now, day one, he signed executive orders ending the border emergency and, and the next day he signed executive orders ending suspending all deportations for at least 100 days, et cetera, et cetera, opening up the floodgates at the southern border. To make it even more official, Joe Biden invited the press into the Oval Office. He's wearing a mask at this point, and he's explaining these executive orders that he is signing and why it is they're so damned important because the previous administration was so cruel and evil and heartless and blah, 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 all those things that, you know, were crazy when we had a secure border. Today I'm going to sign a few executive orders uh, to strengthen the immigration system, building on... Uh, the executive actions I took on day one to protect dreamers and uh, to end the Muslim ban and to better manage our borders. And that's what these uh, three different uh, executive orders are about. And I want to make it clear, there's a lot of talk with good reason about the number of executive orders that I've signed. I'm not making new law. I'm eliminating bad policy. Um, what I'm doing is taking on the issues that 99% of them that the president, the last president of the United States, issued executive orders I thought were very counterproductive to our security, counterproductive to who we are as a country, particularly in, uh, in, uh, in the area of immigration. This is about uh, how America is safer, stronger, more prosperous when we have a fair, orderly, and uh, humane legal immigration system. And uh, with the first action today, uh, we're going to work to undo the moral and national shame of the previous administration that literally, not figuratively, ripped children from the arms of their families, their mothers and fathers at the border, and with no plan, none whatsoever, to reunify the children who are still in custody and, uh, and their parents. The second action addresses the root causes of our migration to our southern border. And the third action, the third order I'm going to be signed, orders a full review of the previous administration's harmful and counterproductive immigration policies uh, basically across the board. And so with that, I'm going to sign the first order. Now, uh, that if you're playing the home game from February 2nd, 2021, is the president of the United States taking absolute 100% ownership of the situation at the southern border. He undid everything that Trump did and was implementing top to bottom review, blah, 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 blah. That was a kid. There is nothing. He inherited a mess. No, he didn't inherit a mess. He inherited something that was working. You just didn't like how it was working. And so you changed it. You changed it through three executive orders. Right there is him grabbing the baton and taking ownership taking over the entire immigration system and fundamentally transforming it to what he wants it to be. There is no inheriting. We inherited a mess. You created a mess from what you got. You got something that was secure or certainly more secure than it is now. I'm going to address the root causes. Really, how'd that work out? He then appointed Kamala Harris to be in charge of dealing with the root causes of migration. How did that work out? Remember, she went to the southern border once. She went down to South America once. And that was it. And asked, hey, how many times have you gone to the southern border? I haven't gone to the southern border yet, have you? 
Well, I haven't been to Europe yet either. All right, I didn't realize you were appointed ambassador to Europe as well, or the person to deal with Europe. Kind of thought you had a job to do. Well, in name only. But right there, make no, no matter what argument these leftists make, right there is Joe Biden buying lock, stock, and barrel the entire immigration system and remaking it on February 2nd, 2021. I want to play two more clips before we get out of here. The first one is going to be a woman, a doctor named Elizabeth Johanna Oz- Olson Kennedy. I don't know why you need that many names, but whatever. She works at the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles. She, her speciality is gender-affirming care, which, what do you think? Hey, if, you, if you're a, a rhinoplasty guy, if you're a dude nose jobs, how many of your patients do you think you're going to suggest need a nose job? Is anybody going to come in your office going, I'm thinking about a nose job, and you go, well, it's perfect. Don't touch it. No way. Are you insane? How many times has that said in somebody's life? Never? Negative 50 times? You find what you're looking for. You find what you need. Now, this is a clip from 2015. I just want to show you how long the left has been going at it because you think about this. We've only really heard about this in mass in the last two or three years. But this is back from 2015 to show you how long this has been farting around and moving around and metastasizing throughout the left. Let's talk about a hot topic, gender confirmation surgeries and minors, okay? This is something that's coming on the horizon. Probably your kids are all going to ask you about it after our talk to Dr. Joe session, sorry. Um, so this idea that a 14 or 15-year-old would want a vagina they identified as a girl is really not that out there. It's actually pretty understandable. Surgery, chest surgery for trans guys as minors is critical, and it's available. It's not nearly as difficult as genital reconstruction because it doesn't have anything to do with sterilization. The difficulty of genital surgery is that it is surgical sterilization and people get super worked up about that. And that is the barrier that we have to overcome. And I think we're going to. But chest surgery is not that. It actually isn't. It's a very easy, safe, relatively fast procedure that is absolutely life-saving. Yeah, no, we can chop them off upstairs, downstairs a little bit longer, but we're going to have to work on that. I promise you that this woman has never made more money in her entire life. There's just no way she hasn't. Sit there. Oh, it's really easy to do to chop up the top. On the bottom, it's a little bit more, but don't worry. Your kids are going to be asking for this for Christmas. They have been going at this for a very, very long time. They have plans for after this, too. We don't know what they are, but make no mistake, this is nobody's finish line. This is just a checkpoint. And if we don't end this insanity here, God knows where they're going to take us next. How many kids have to be mutilated? How many will be enough? Well, there's no answer for that. There's all of them, every one of them. It's money for them. They also view human beings as the problem with the planet. So if you can stop them from being able to reproduce, you've gone a long way to solving the climate change problem, or so they say. Really gross people. Have I mentioned that? Lastly, speaking of really weirdo people, E. Jean Carroll 
just won $83.3 million. She'll never see that money from Donald Trump. It'll be you know reduced, if not completely wiped out on appeal. But she appeared on Rachel Maddow's show Monday night and joked, as all rape victims do, about what she's going to do with the money that she got from her rapist, allegedly. And, you know, she's tell me, does this sound like somebody traumatized by a sexual assault years ago? You've talked about using some of Trump's money about to get um, to help shore up women's rights. Do you know what that might be, what that might look like? Yes, or, Rachel. Yes. Tell me. I had such such great ideas <laughs> for all the good I'm going to do with this money. First thing, Rachel, you and I are going to go shopping. We're going to get completely <laughs> new wardrobes, new shoes, motorcycle for Crowley, new fishing rod for Robbie. Rachel, what do you want? Penthouse? It's yours, Nothing. Rachel. Penthouse and uh, France? You want France? You want to go fishing nope. in France? No? Oh, all right, all right. Okay. That's a joke. <laughs> Although if if me fishing in France could yeah. do something for women's rights, I would take the hit. You know, I would obviously uh, take one for the team. Now you heard the lawyer in there. That's a joke. That's a joke. Does, does anybody believe that person sounds fully traumatized by that? I don't know what happened 30 years ago, but if it was traumatic... She wouldn't have gone on Anderson Cooper's and joked about how rape, how Americans view rape as sexy, man. It's so sexy time. And then go on Rachel Maddow talking about, hey, well, I'm going to go crazy. I'm going to advance. Want to go to Paris? Want to go do this? Want to do that? Want to do the other thing? That's a person that the jury in, well, it's New York, but that's the person the jury in New York found credible. Because why? Because why not? It's New York, for God's sakes. Uh, imagine being a Democrat and hanging your political future on, at least in part, on that person. Please do it, Democrats. Give her a keynote primetime speaking slot at the Democratic convention. Please, please, please. They won't because they're not that stupid. I mean, they're crazy, but they're not that stupid. Or they're stupid, but they're not that crazy, however you prefer to look at it. Anyway, that is enough for today. Don't forget patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast. Enter to win the autographed one and only Buzz Aldrin book. Signed by the man himself, the number two man on the moon. All around cool dude and the last surviving member of the Apollo 11 mission. Check it out at patreon.com slash Derek Hunter podcast or DerekHunter.locals.com. Appreciate the hell out of you listening. We'll get to Corey Bush tomorrow. This story's still developing. We'll have some fun with it tomorrow. Thanks for listening. I'll see you then. Bye.